Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 8th March, 2020. This evening we are joined by Pastor Neil Gordon, who takes his reading from Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and brings a message entitled, Encouragement for the Weary Runner. Well, I want to thank Clifford for those kind words of, of welcome as well. It's lovely to be with you today. Both uh, myself and Emma have really enjoyed renewing fellowship with you uh, once again. And uh, thank you once again for those kind words of welcome there. We're going to turn to Hebrews 12 this evening. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning we were looking at the importance of remembering the Israelites' memory of God's past blessing. And how that encouraged them to keep trusting and keep depending on God in the present day. But tonight we move from remembering to looking. And looking and running more specifically. So we're looking at some things to help us in a Christian life. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to just read the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And once again, we ask God's blessing upon the reading of his word. Let's, let's pray together before we turn to this passage and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we do want to give you thanks for the great promises that we read in your word. For how these promises do help us and encourage us. But Father we give you thanks Lord even that we can truly rely on these promises because of the one who made them. That Father you are the one who is sure, who is steadfast, who is righteous and just in all your ways. And Father you have proven yourself time and time again. Not just through the pages of scripture but also in the lives of individuals, individuals maybe even in this church here tonight, but even in our, in our own hearts. We can look back and think of all that you've done in our lives, and we want to give you thanks for that. But Father, we come before you recognizing our great need of your help tonight, how we need that as we come to your word. Father, how we need our hearts to be prepared for that word, how we need our eyes to be opened. But Father, how we need even your spirit to just help us even live out your word as well too. And Father, even just give us a sense of your presence even here with us in this service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in summer 1992, you might remember back to the Barcelona Olympics. They were in full swing when one story dominated the news. Britain's hopes for gold rested in the 400 metres on Derek Redmond. He posted the fastest time in the first round of heats. And he won the quarter final. But when he came round to his semi-final, 
He'd got off to an amazing start. And then about 250 meters from the finish, he tore his hamstring. And all of a sudden, that powerful athlete began to hobble until he he came to almost complete stop and fell to the ground in pain. And as the stretcher bearers made their way over to him, he got up determined to complete the race. But as he hobbled on with pain in each step, he was joined in that track by his father, Jim Redmond, who pushed past security to get onto the track to help his son. And what happened was Jim and Derek completed the lap together with Derek leaning on his father's shoulder for support. And as they crossed the line, 65,000 people rose in support to give them that standing ovation. He couldn't have finished without his father's help. You know, but the same thing is true for all those who are believers as well here too in in the Christian life. How could we carry on without even the Father's help? We couldn't do it on our own strength. We need others to help us along life's journey. And God the Father has graciously given us the help that we need. He lives within us. He empowers us even as well. He equips us. But we find some other encouragements in this passage tonight. And so I've called this some encouragement for weary runners. You know, this passage speaks of the Christian life as running a race. But when it talks about that, it's not speaking of a sprint. It's not talking like about the 100 or 200 meters. It's more of the analogy of a marathon, more of an endurance race. An endurance race that sometimes can be difficult. Sometimes, you know, you can face those moments where maybe things just get tough. Sometimes you even can face obstacles as well. I don't know whether you've ever run a marathon. In our church we have a man who's now in his, I would say either late 80s or early 90s. And he has about seven or eight of these medals. He's run marathons. I have run a marathon. If I had stopped there, uh, I ran in the relay. Um, that's about as far as I got. I actually ran in two relays in the marathon. And I ran five and a half miles. And you see, to be honest, that was far enough for me, to be honest. Um, But as I ran it, as you're setting off on that run, you think to yourself, the road looks okay. And then sometimes you begin to realize there's maybe hills where you never quite noticed hills before. And let me tell you, as I was getting to the three or four mile mark, I was near beginning to feel like giving up at times. But you know, in life's journey as well too, sometimes things can be like that. We can start off well and sometimes we might face unexpected even obstacles as well along that race. But there was things that kept me going. We'll see and we'll look at even some of these even tonight as well. Encouragements. You see, this author was writing to a group of Jewish Christians who were growing discouraged. They got off to a great start in the Christian life. But yet, we find as you read through this letter, they were in danger. They were in danger of drifting away. He warns them even not to have evil, unbelieving hearts that would lead them to fall away from the living God. Instead, what he does is he urges them to hold fast to their hope without wavering. This letter was to warn them of the danger of that. But not only that, but to encourage them along that journey. To urge them to keep on running that race and not get discouraged. He gives them, and the first thing we're looking at is this encouragement to endure, to persevere. And, you know, in any race or sporting event, 
You sometimes hear the, the sportsmen talk about how the crowds encouraged them on. I know certainly when I was running those five and a half miles, which seems like nothing really when you compare it to the marathon, but for me the encouragement was so important. We all need a bit of encouragement sometimes, don't we? That encouragement to just urge us to press on. And in this first verse, what we see here is we are encouraged by reminding us that this race has been run by others. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. But who are these witnesses? You notice it begins with this, therefore, linking us back to the previous chapter where we read a series of names, people who were Old Testament heroes of the faith, people who took God at his word and had faith in his promises. But in what sense were they, were they witnesses? You know, in their, in their own time, they were witnesses, of course, in their own time, their lives bore evidence to their, their faith by their, their lives and by their words as well. People like Noah, Abraham and Sarah, and we read of many others in chapter 11 here. But you get this sense here of almost like these witnesses are, are looking on as this race happens. And it is a good thing to remember that others have run this race before us. What a helpful encouragement that is when we maybe sometimes struggle in the Christian life. When we perhaps maybe grow weary and maybe sometimes find it hard to remember that others have been through the same struggles and sometimes even greater struggles than us as well. To know that actually when you look back to those heroes of faith, their God is also our God as well too. And God does not change. To know that Jesus, the one who we worship, was the ultimate fulfillment even of, of the promises that were made to those people even in chapter 11 as well too. And the writer uses the language almost as if these people are, are, are standing around almost nodding with encouragement. That's kind of the image you get here. Almost like they're saying, you know, I, I did it and so can you keep on going. But there's another bit of instruction here. That we should remove anything that could hinder us. We can remove anything that hinder us. As this cloud of witness, and it's a cloud because there's, when you look up in the sky, it's, the clouds often seem so dense. It's very rare you actually see a little bit of cloud just on its own. There are a whole series of them around us. But yet whenever we get ready for the race as well too, we should lay aside anything that would hinder. Often in races you see runners remove their, their track suits and, and jackets, even the padded jackets which may keep them warm. They want to remove any unnecessary weight or anything that would hinder them. You know, when I thought of this, I had a smile at another story that came to mind. Last year's London Marathon. A vivid illustration of this was a man, Lucas Bates, and he became famous when he decided he would raise money for a charity. But actually, he raised money as a charity dressed as Big Ben. He was hoping to get, win the prize for actually, uh, actually set the record for the fastest runner dressed as a landmark. There you go, if you want to set any records, there's one still out there. To the fastest runner dressed as a landmark. And, but he became famous for the wrong reasons. Because as he got to the finish line, he actually discovered that he couldn't fit through. <laughs> and what ended up happening was actually all the runners ended up going past him. You know, here was a man who, in many ways, the thing that he thought you know, would, would mark him out actually was hindering him. The thing that he thought would actually kind of help him make a name for himself actually hindered him and held him back. 
You know, in the Christian life, we also must be mindful of the the things which can hinder us and even prevent our progress. You know, we do currently live in an age of, of entertainment. On average, you know, even people watch, it said, over 19 hours of TV every week. Apparently that's the average. 19 hours of TV every week. And that doesn't include things that people would watch on the internet as well too. And yet sometimes even this, which in itself may not seem wrong, but it can actually hold us back even in time that we could be using for something else. But also it can hold us back if we're also not discerning in the the kind of things that we watch. Other hindrances maybe even to our spiritual life might even be Even career ambitions as well. If we're putting other things even before the Lord. Even maybe certain friendships can be unhelpful. Is there anything that's hindering us in our our Christian lives? Or what about this? There's another thing here it talks about. Even in this first verse. It talks about and the sin which clings so closely. Or all the translations speak of the sin which ensnares or, or trips us up. He's talking about besetting sin sin if left unchecked or unrepented of in our lives could cause us to stumble you know each of us in our lives each of us have our own weak points which maybe Satan tries to exploit at times but if left unchecked and if we continue to defeat and indulge this sin it could trip us up in the race of the Christian life but where does this battle begin this battle against sin Is it just about the outward things? It actually begins in the heart. Begins in the heart and begins in the mind. You know, for example, you may not have committed a particular sin, but have you thought about it? Martin Luther cautioned over this. He said, you can keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from laying a nest in your hair. You can keep the birds from flying over. You can't stop them flying over your head, but you can stop them actually from nesting in your hair. You know, here's the thing. If we think upon a particular sin, if we begin to dwell on that, that could maybe weaken us and our resolve as well too. Maybe it's the sin of pride, covetousness or, or envy or, or lust. Whatever it is, we must not indulge that sin, even in our minds as well. We are called to to holiness. And so we are to be wary of anything that could hinder us in this life. Anything that could cause us to stumble. And let us also then run this race with perseverance. We're urged to hear in verse 1, run the race with endurance that's set before us. Running with endurance, a phrase that it talks about effort and determination. Uh, it calls us to keep going even despite the difficulties. You know, runners can certainly find encouragement from others who have run the race before them. Their race can certainly be helped by removing any hindrances or anything that's putting them back. But the greatest encouragement I would suggest to you, we find in verse 2 here, that we look to Jesus. Every good runner keeps their eye on the goal. They keep their eye on the prize. For the marathon runner, that's the finish line. Everyone needs encouragement in the Christian life, but the greatest encouragement is actually when we see that finish line. As we draw closer to it. 
To know even of what it will feel like when we cross that. You know the goal you see we run to is Christ himself. In verse 2 we're urged to, to look to Jesus. And, and that word look that's used, it's an interesting word that's used. Because it's not talking about a look that's a glance. It describes a look that is intense. It carries the sense of looking away from other things. And actually looking and fixing our gaze exclusively in one thing. Though there's a great cloud of witnesses, Jesus is the one ultimately who we look to. But here's the thing, whenever you fix your eyes on something, whenever you gaze on it intently, you begin to see it ever more clearer, don't you? I wonder if you ever stood in front of something like a painting and studied it closely. I have a friend who is a, a pastor in London. We were at Bible college together and one time when I was visiting him, he took me over to the National Gallery. And I recall well going to look at some of those paintings. And we stood looking at one particularly impressive painting. And as you begin to look at that and stir it, you do begin to appreciate that beauty even more. At first glance, maybe I noticed just the figures and the landscapes. If I'd have just glanced at it and turned away, I could have told you roughly what was in the picture. But as you study it closer, you began to notice maybe even small things, even like the expressions as well, even on the people. You maybe even begin to notice maybe figures you didn't notice before in the background of the painting. As you stand even closer to that painting, you see the little individual brush strokes. And you can appreciate how much effort even the the painter took to actually create this wonderful work of art. You know, here... As the writer writes these words, as he urges them to look unto Jesus, I think you get the real sense that as he is looking at Jesus, it's like he's becoming ever more clearer. And what he sees, he marvels at. It thrills his heart as he gazes intently upon the Savior. Because want you to notice and how he almost overflows when he talks about of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. What he means to him. He's the one, firstly, he's described as the founder. The founder. He's the one in whom our faith is founded. The starting point for running the Christian race is to look to Jesus by faith. The Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And the reply came back, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Through Christ's sacrificial death, he is the one who opened that way to God. Through his life, he continues to save. And there's no other way. He was God's chosen one. The one who made atonement through giving of his life for us. The one who even we cling to in faith in order to be reconciled. We are reconciled through faith in Christ alone. The one who paid our debt. The one who paid that price for sin. And there's more to it as well. And the Greek word behind this carries the idea of, of one like a, he's like a trailblazer as well. Our pioneer. The Greek word behind that carries that idea. And that's another great encouragement to us as well. Knowing that he also has run this race too. And we are called to run it as well. He is the one who blazed the trail for us to follow. And that trail took him from suffering to glory and because he did that we know if we have that faith in Christ one day we will be with him in glory too 
He has blazed that trail for us. He is the, the founder of our faith. But he's also something else. He's the, the finisher as well too. The perfecter of our faith. Through Christ, our faith And through Christ, not only that journey not only begins in him, but actually finds its completion through him as well too. Over the last couple of Sunday nights at Shankill, we've been looking at an overview of the Bible called the, the Bible Big Picture we've been looking at. We've been doing that this year and we've been seeing time and time again all the different promises which were pointing to Jesus. All these things which foretold of Jesus coming. Jesus as the the great king, for example. Jesus, the one through whom ultimately many will be blessed. The Old Testament saints in the previous chapter, in chapter 11 here, they find all those promises realized in him. Christ himself ran that race to its completion. And we rely on him because when we finish that race, we find that ultimate fullness in him. When we are united with him. In Colossians 2 uh, verse 10 it says we are complete in him. He is the one who is head of all in principality and power. He's the one who makes us complete. And and we can seek to serve God and try and live a life pleasing to him. but, But we can't reach God without being in Christ. Faith in him enables us to reach that race to its finish. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know and I am believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. He is able to keep. Do you want to finish the journey of the Christian life well? We need to focus on him and, and continue to fix our eyes upon him. Jonah Owen writes, A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. And the more we behold the glory of Christ by faith, the more spiritual and more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because sometimes we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, these things will be expelled. And that is how our spiritual life is revived. By fixing our eyes in Christ. By meditating in him. By spending time with him in his word. You know, if you're not a Christian here tonight, what is the goal that you're pursuing in life? Everyone worships something. Perhaps it's financial success for some. Perhaps it's career. Perhaps it's promotion. Perhaps the goal you're seeking is is just a satisfaction, but you're trying to, to search for it in all the wrong places. What is your pursuit in life? You know, if you live your life without Christ... You're going to spend eternity without him. Unless your life is founded with that faith in Christ, you're not even in the race at all. What good is it if you have all that this world has to offer, and yet if you're not prepared to meet God? If you can have all the things that this world has to offer, what good is that if you have all those things and yet you lose your soul? 
On that day of judgment, God won't care about what your, your job or your bank balance is. He'll want to know simply what have you done with Christ. Or perhaps you maybe think to yourself, maybe I know there's some who maybe would talk about they'd like to become a Christian, but yet they say to themselves, oh, but I can't keep it. Let me remind you of that verse that I read earlier on, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For I am persuaded. He was persuaded, he was convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Paul was one who himself knew of difficult times. But he himself also knew God was faithful. He came to God and God kept him along that way. Christ was near to him, Christ was dear to him and he praised him above all things. Above even the applause of all the things of this world. That's what was precious to him. And Paul knew of the Lord's keeping power. Christ is the founder. He's the finisher. He's the one who perfects our faith. How? Well, we're reminded here as well. He is the one who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, he's not only the founder, the finisher, but he's also the faithful servant. If you want to look for the most example, the most faithful example of one who run the race, look to Christ. But he's more than an example, isn't he? He is one who looked beyond that shame and suffering. And we're called to do the same in our Christian lives. He looked at the very joy set before him. And we're to be encouraged by that too and not to grow weary and lose heart. See, these believers that he was writing to were ones who had endured insult, imprisonment, and even oppression as well too. We read in some other chapters that they had even their, their possessions taken from them as well. And yet, the writer here was reminding them that they had a better and more enduring possession for themselves even in heaven. Christ was their most precious possession in their life. Christ endured suffering. He was reviled, yet he didn't revile in turn. He remained obedient to the Father's will, even when that will led him to the cross. When he submitted himself to one of the most awful and terrible punishments the Romans ever invented. A punishment for criminals not only meant to be physically painful, but meant to shame any prisoner as they hung there. They were to hang there as a deterrent for all others to see. As people will hang on the cross, others would even come by and stand and watch them, sometimes even mock and jeer them as well. Yet Christ despised the shame. He endured it, though, for us. He endured it for us. And what was the joy? It was the joy of knowing that on the cross he was completing that very purpose for which he was sent into this world. The joy of knowing that though he was suffering pain and anguish, the penalty for sin was being paid in full. Though he would suffer, not for his sins, but for ours, his death would be that ransom payment. He had that joy in knowing that because of his sacrifice, he would bring many sons to glory. Many would come to glory because of his sacrifice. It was the Lord's faith that enabled him to endure. Because though he suffered, he knew also of the reality of God's promises. Psalm 16.10 You will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David wrote those words, but as Peter reminded them on the day of Pentecost, that couldn't just have been talking of David. No, this points to one greater. It's talking of Christ. 
David was still in the grave, but praise God, we can consider not only the cross, but the empty tomb. Christ himself trusted in God's promises. And as that faithful servant, though he died, he was raised in newness of life. And he now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated because that saving work is complete. You know, but an example isn't enough. An example isn't enough though, is it? You see, even though I did a little bit of running, if I was to follow the example of Usain Bolt, if I ate what he ate, if I followed his training program, if I copied his technique, I'm still not going to win the Belfast Marathon. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't just our example. He empowers us. He is our saviour. He is the one who has paid that price for sin. And praise God, God's spirit is even living within us as well to help us along that journey. Can we run this journey on our own strength? No, we can't. We need the Father's help. And the Father has given us all the help we need. Faith in Christ means that we are united with him. And he is one who reigns in power. He's seated at the right hand of God's throne on high. And God's spirit lives within us. And he's at the right hand of the Father, continuing to ever intercede for us. He's at the place of ultimate power so he can save to the uttermost those who now draw near to God through him. Because he always lives to make intercession for us. He empowers us, he emboldens us, and he guides us even as we live. The Father has given us what we need. So as we close here tonight, listen to what the writer says we should do with this knowledge. Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We are to run the race. We are to look, we are to look to Jesus, and we are to consider him. Think upon him, meet with him in his word, and meditate upon him. Don't just let that look be just a simple glance, but take in of that word. Marvel at the beauty of the Saviour. Marvel how precious he is. Turn away from any distraction that may hinder that relationship. You see, the reality is, and verse 3 here shows us, that all runners may grow weary at times, but consider Christ, the one who suffered for us. There is no greater helper. He is the one who is the object of our faith. And we are to consider him that we may not lose heart. And know that Christ prayed for you. Isn't it encouraging to know that people pray for you? It encourages me when people, you know, maybe say on the the door on the way out, if I'm doing an assembly that week or something, we'll be praying for you. In John 17, Jesus not only prayed for his disciples, he also prayed for those disciples who would come later. And here's what he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, To see my glory that you've given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He wanted us to be where he is. You know maybe you're here tonight though. And you've never looked to Jesus in faith. If you do look to him you'll find one who is altogether lovely. He is the one who came to be that payment for sins. The one who came so we could be reconciled to God. 
and not perish but have everlasting life. Through him we come into a very family of God. Through him we are redeemed even through his blood. Through him we are forgiven. Through him we are cleansed. Through him we are given a glorious inheritance. And we have a wondrous hope. A hope that nothing can take away. Will you consider Christ tonight? But Christian here tonight. I don't know how your race is going at the minute. Maybe it is you're going through maybe a difficult period. Maybe you're getting to that point where maybe you are feeling a bit, a bit weary. Maybe you do need that encouragement that only the Lord himself can give. See, the race may be difficult, but praise the Lord, our goal is going to be worth it. And may God help us to keep those eyes fixed on that goal. As I said this morning, quoting that hymn, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Praise God. And may this word even be a help and encouragement to you. Let's close tonight by singing a hymn. And I can think of one no more appropriate than this.